and welcome to the Jazz Violin Podcast, episode 12. This one is super exciting because we have uh, the living legend Jean-Luc Ponty. Before I go into Jean-Luc, we are going to talk a little bit about the sponsor. The sponsor for this episode and some others is Ithaca Strings. Um, Ithaca Strings is Eric Aceto. Um, Eric is a luthier and um, I guess an engineer. He is based in New York and he has he creates uh, lots of interesting instruments, five strings, six string violins, and he makes them for some uh, pretty amazing musicians. The uh, the reason that I got to know Eric is through his pickup which is uh, a dual mic and uh, bridge pickup system. Uh, Zach, Pro- Bro- Zach Brock got me onto that. And uh, yeah, and it's really, it really is an amazing thing. I've just, had, I've just had it delivered to me. I've got it here. And it, it's crazy because it's basically so lightweight and um, compact you know, you, you can hardly tell it's gonna, you can hardly tell it's on your violin, um, and it doesn't make any difference to the sound because the pickup is already built into the into the bridge. Um, you know, I've tried to do this this thing before where I uh, where I get a microphone and put my pickup on my violin as well, and uh, put them through the same amp, and basically you, well, my violin just ends up looking like Frankenstein's monster just doesn't look great it gets weighed down you sort of it just feels a bit stupid but uh this this design of eric's is really really amazing and i'm really excited to 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 have it uh put on my violin and to hear what it sounds like um so yeah you'll hear more about that in the next uh three or four months as well uh once i've had it fitted Jean-Luc Ponty is, uh, well, I feel like it, <laughs> I feel like there's not really any point in me telling you who he is because if you're listening to this podcast, you definitely know who Jean-Luc Ponty is. I will do a little bit though. He has sort he sort of created jazz violin as we know it today. Jean-Luc sort of took up where uh, Stefan Grappelli and Stuff Smith and Eddie South sort of left off. Um, and he took jazz violin into bop and hard bop and actually all the way into sort of you know the well he was really instrumental in the jazz rock fusion stuff in the 70s and 80s um yeah he's played with everybody he still does play with everybody and uh i'm really glad that he took the time to chat with me actually it was a nice chat that's it i hope you enjoy But I was just going to start with how you started playing the violin, really, it would be in, or just you know how you started playing music in general. Yes, well, both my parents were music teachers. My father was teaching violin, um, but also wind instruments. So he taught me clarinet a few years later. But when I was five, he started me on violin, mm-hmm. and my mother taught me piano. She was a piano and voice teacher. Ah. And so I was, I had a passion for music immediately when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Except at some point I wanted to become a fireman because I love ah. this, the, the shiny helmet. <laughs> but, yeah. But uh, no, music took over very quickly. <clears throat> then when I was 11, they asked me to choose one instrument so that I would really focus and become good at one instead of mediocre at two or three and Uh so i chose that's when i chose violin and i started serious classical studies right okay what do you think made you stick with the violin it's so long ago i i think it's because 
it's, it was the connection with the, the physical connection with the instrument. You hold it against your body. It's like an extension mm. of yourself. Yeah. Uh, and also it is so expressive. Yeah. Um, it was a tough choice, I guess, because I love piano, but that, I guess that was the reason. And, yeah. uh, but piano was very useful. Uh, I slowed down practicing piano, but I, it was very useful when I started composing. Mm. Practically everything I wrote was on piano. Ah, okay. And keyboards. Right, okay. So you started quite young. Did you say how old? Did you say that? I started five, at five. Yeah. yeah. And chose to focus on violin at 11. Right, okay, okay. And at that point, um, were, were, where were you learning? Were you still learning at home? So it was still at home. And then when, when I finally uh, convinced my parents to let me become a <laughs> professional <laughs> musician, yeah. which was quite of uh, an argument, but uh, yeah. I, won, <laughs> I won the battle. Yeah. And so they said, okay, you want to be professional, then you have to do it seriously. So they sent me to a, a better teacher than my father uh, okay. in, in the city of Rennes in France. Uh -huh. And uh, after that to Paris. Yeah. Um, How old were you when you went to Paris? I was uh, 15. Okay. And you went to conservatoire? I was admitted the following year when I was uh, 16 Okay. at the Conservatoire in Paris, which was the only really uh, major professional school at the time. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and that was, you were doing, obviously, studying classical music. Um, how did you get on at the Conservatoire? How did I get on? Yeah, did you enjoy? Did you enjoy it? Oh, oh. yes, I enjoyed it because um, I don't know. It was tough, but I was very dedicated. You know. Okay. I was not quite at the level when uh, I was when I arrived in Paris. I was not quite at the level. Oh, okay. And uh, they even doubted I could you know, get to the level oh, really? uh, by the, um, by the time, because I think you could not, it was 18 was the limit right. to, to enter, you know, after that, uh, you were not admitted, <laughs> okay. but uh, I worked so hard that yeah. I, I surprised everyone, including yeah. myself to, wow. <laughs> to catch up and, uh, and be admitted within right. one year. Oh, great. So, yes, I sure enjoyed, um, I had a great teacher, and mm -hmm. so I enjoy, uh, uh, you know, the progress I was doing and learning mm -hmm. uh, concertos. Yeah. However, it was really rough and tough, and yeah. so I'm not sure I enjoyed it that much, you know. Okay, yeah. So when you first got there, they thought that you weren't, at the right level what was it what was if you don't mind me asking what were the problems that you felt that you had at that point i think it was my technical level the way right. i was handling the bow the, the left hand um i was most i mean the right hand is my gift um ah, okay uh, i had more difficulties with the left hand and i needed the uh, practicing i would say my father was kind of a self-taught he had he didn't have a great education in violin, you know, mm -hmm. he was mostly, he founded a music school in a small town in France. And that yeah. was, that was what he was good at. He could, uh, you know, uh, play quite a number of instruments and yeah. had studied uh, theory, harmony and all that. But as a violinist, he was not uh, really to the level of uh, the Paris Conservatory at all. This okay. is why he sent me he was intelligent to understand that and sent yeah. me to, to better teachers in Paris. And thanks to that, I was able to catch up to, to the level pretty quickly. But um, that, that was, that was a, my technical level. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Um, but um, how do you go about fixing your technical level? I, I was lucky to have, I consider the best violin teacher at the time. 
uh, he had uh, he was doing a mix of uh, French and Russian technique on the bow, uh, which was uh, the best. Uh, so, and since I had that gift of uh, with the right hand, so the, uh -huh. the bow technique really improved really fast. Okay. And then I really wanted to succeed so much that mm -hmm. uh, when friends of mine at the conservatory would spend time uh, in cafes and uh, hanging out and having fun, I would be home practicing nonstop. Uh -huh. I really practice very, very hard. Yeah. And, and so to the surprise of my teachers, I was, I caught up to the level of, of everybody else Yeah. very quickly. Yeah. Oh, great. Okay. Um, would you say that there's a, that um, it's important for violinists to have a good formal education? Um, yeah, in general. In general, I, I would say that it definitely helps because once I had that, ba that good foundation, that good technical basis, I could, um, you know, I could go into any music style later on uh the only thing is to feel the style mm -hmm. that's another thing you know if you want yeah. to play jazz and what kind of jazz you really you really have to to feel for it but but at least you have you know technically the right hand and the left hand are ready to uh to address the most difficult uh technical things yeah yeah so as in you you found you found that getting that um that classical technique stuff helped like meant that later on you didn't really have to worry about technique is that right yes except that when i got into jazz of course i had to <laughs> come up with a different bow technique somehow yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there were some a few a few spots where i could use the classical technique but otherwise i really had to come up with a new uh phrasing especially the rhythm phrasing yeah but also oh, yeah, yeah. you know also the pressure uh, ghost notes mm -hmm. uh, which i found in a natural way uh, that it, it helped yeah. uh, give the rhythm feel yeah uh, things like that so it's and in those days there were there was no jazz school yeah at all so i learned by listening to albums and and playing with records and going to clubs to jam with jazz bands at night yeah uh, so why don't we just go back a little bit how how did you first find jazz how did that first happen for you so through clarinet since i was playing clarinet as a second or uh, third instrument excuse me <laughs> so, oh yeah um and i met some some guys in paris yeah. who were in a university, um, I don't know what it was, engineering, whatever. But they mm -hmm. had a jazz band and they were looking, it was in the swing style, like a Benny Goodman style. Okay. And they were looking for a clarinet player and they asked me if I knew someone. I say, well, me, I play clarinet. I knew mm -hmm. nothing about jazz. Right, yeah. But um, when I heard it was to play once a month in that school for for dance party, uh -huh. I said, great, I'm going to meet girls. So <laughs> that was that was really my motivation. Uh, excellent. And uh, they taught me because I knew nothing about jazz, but I went to an audition. Yeah. And they, they realized I could improvise right on the spot. That was the first time in my life I was in that situation. But uh, yeah. I discovered that uh, ability I had Ah. So they said, okay, you know nothing about jazz, but you can improvise. So yeah, we hire you. And they taught me the, the you know, the basic, uh, the, the basics of jazz. Yeah. <clears throat> you play the melody, you go back to the top and you improvise on chord changes. And that's how, that's how it started. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. So, but from the word go, you found that improvising, it came naturally to you. You didn't have problems with it no problem that that was strange but um of course i had to feel uh, the, the jazz feeling but of course, I, yeah. yeah but that came very very naturally and quickly yeah uh, i listened to a lot of albums then i discovered modern jazz miles uh -huh. davis coltrane 
Sonny Rollins and so I switched to tenor sax which I taught myself it's very easy to go from one to, to, to the other you know yeah it's practically the same fingering yeah but uh, and then one day I I wanted to jam I was in a city in France doing yeah. a, a classical gig and uh, I didn't have my clarinet with me but uh, nor my sax but only my violin and mm-hmm. I wanted to jam so bad with a, with a, with a local band there yeah. that uh, I had jammed with the violin for the first time ever. I had right. never heard of Stefan Grappelli or I knew nothing oh, really? about jazz violins at the time. Okay, so you, you played jazz violin before you'd ever even heard anybody else do it? Yes. Wow, that's but, cool. Yeah, but just because I had no other instrument yeah. <laughs> that day. And so one of the one of the guys in the band <coughs> was doing a radio or jazz radio show, uh-huh. and so uh, he invited me to his place the next day, and mm-hmm. he had a whole um, box of jazz violin, you know. Right. So um, he, the one who introduced me to the Hot Club de France, the Grappelli, uh-huh. but Stuff Smith, Renance the yeah. whole history of jazz violin at the time. Yeah. I'm talking about 60, um, no, 59, maybe yeah. 1960, yeah. Yeah. Wow, yeah, okay. I mean, by that point, jazz violin still was, you know, there's not much of it around. It's just those, you know, a handful of players. Who, who are your favorite um, players from that era? Well, of course, I, I love Stefan Grappelli uh, at first. Yeah. And, and when I discovered Stuff Smith, he became my favorite. Yeah. Um, because of his uh, approach of uh, <clears throat> adapting the violin to jazz as opposed to what the Hot Club did, which was great. It was extremely original, but they adapted jazz to the strings instruments. Ah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to play bebop uh, modern jazz with drummers who played with as much energy as with a sax or trumpet player yeah and the volume the natural volume of the violin just didn't make it so already you know i i looked into amplification immediately because of that just to Mm -hmm. to get more volume and at yeah. the same time, I heard that Stuff Smith was uh, maybe the first one or one of the very first to use yeah. amplification. I think he was the first, eh? I think. He I, could, I think so. I think so. Yeah. And um, so that's how that's how it all came. But so I really felt a a strong uh, relationship uh, with uh, the approach of uh, Stuff and and the man himself because I met yeah. him in Paris a bit later on and uh, we connected really well. Ah, okay. Yeah, you got on well with stuff. Yes, we even, I even had the chance to do a couple of collaborations with him. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I've heard the, the live album that you guys are both on. There is uh, that Violin Summit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, from 66, maybe 64 yeah around those yeah. years i forgot yeah and uh, with stefan stefan grappelli was on sven asmussen yeah Stuff yeah. smith and me yeah wow that's a that's a stellar lineup yeah it was i was very impressed i was a young kid you know a bit yeah. a bit uh, shy among all these uh, legends i felt strong as a player already yeah and yeah. Uh, and uh for me it was a thrill to be yeah. more, you know, invited to do that project. Yeah, yeah, it must have been great. And I mean, I've, you know, I've heard it and it is great. <laughs> um, okay, so um, I'm just trying to find a little, get a timeline um, and maybe we've digressed a bit. Yes, we got to the point where I switched to violin, but, but maybe I can explain that, uh, you know, from that, um, what's the term, what's the word? Um, yeah, after that uh, unexpected experience of mm-hmm. uh, playing jazz on violin, it started to uh, I started to run in my mind that wow, it's possible to play jazz on violin. And then I bought these albums by the jazz violinist, and uh, so that encouraged me to to go for it. Yeah. Also, uh, 
the audience when I played violin was really uh, I could I could tell they were really catching on to it. Great. A lot more than when I was playing clarinet. So the whole thing uh, was turning in my head for for a few months, and uh, and so finally I decided to 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 try to try yeah. to to do a career as a jazz violinist. And yeah. I was young enough that if it didn't work, I could come back to classical music uh, mm -hmm. within within a few years. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I think I heard in one of your interviews you saying that. Um, you had to keep your jazz playing a secret from your conservatoire. Yes, Is that right? because, yeah, at the time, uh, <laughs> it, it's it's strange nowadays to hear that when now there are jazz classes even for yeah. strings in most uh, classical universities and conservatories around the world. But in yeah. those days, no, it was banned. Right. Any music, except classical music, was really um, uh, not well considered at all. Uh, yeah. Even worse, if if you if you were caught <laughs> playing a, a jazz at the time, I could have been thrown out of school. Yeah, yeah, that's that is pretty uh, that's pretty one-sided <laughs> view of music. It was very one-sided, so I kept it a secret. It's funny because I was, um, uh, we had to attend classes of chamber music yeah. at the conservatory. When you were studying classical violin, there was also, it was mandatory. And yeah. uh, at the beginning, when I started studying in that class, the teacher uh, gave me a compliment about my bow technique. He said, you have the perfect bow for Mozart. Oh wow! And then uh, two years later, he said, "What happened to your bow?" <laughs> because I was starting punching like you know accents like in yeah. jazz. So I said nothing, but I understood it was time to to leave the classical world and uh, yeah. get it, you know go full uh, speed uh, into jazz. Yeah. Okay. So you're talking about the um, you've said it a couple of times the difference between bowing in classical music and the different uh, and bowing in jazz uh what are what would you say are the the, the things that that you uh that you have to do or you yourself do to um get a more jazz sound out of the violin well um how can i explain it in jazz you have to play some notes uh, louder than others or with a different accent yeah. uh, to give that bouncing feel mm -hmm. and that swing and uh, also um, unless you play uh, more with a rock beat or even meter uh, even beat um, mm -hmm. otherwise it has to be close to a triplet somehow, you know, that, yeah. that elastic, mm -hmm. uh, supple uh, rhythm feel, uh, which, by the way, is there in Irish music, you know, yeah. the, the Irish fiddlers uh, got that. So, uh, and that is bad for classical music, you know, and, and at the beginning, I played so much Bach that... Uh, my bow was a bit too even, maybe. Mm. Uh, but after playing jazz exclusively for a few years, I, you know, it was gone. But if I wanted to play classical, I still play classical music for fun for me at home. But yeah, and I don't have in the intention to do it publicly. But if I ever did, then I would have to focus on on that type of regular equal bowing yeah up and down uh like in the bach style to yeah to get it back uh, uh to to get the right bowing to play classical music it, that it's really different indeed yeah did you uh, come up with any exercises to try and get that out uh, get um, that into your playing well 
I didn't really create exercises, except sometimes I would play studies, uh, or even Paganini, but studies by Shradik or yeah. Sefcik. And uh, instead of playing regular 16th notes, I would, um, I would swing, you know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, right, okay. Yeah. yeah, I put the accent on the, the up notes, yeah. uh, things like that. Or, right. or, or practice with a metronome, but uh, using the, the metronome on the upbeat, for instance. Yeah. So you, yeah, get, yeah. you know, you get, you get used to that. Mm. Um, yeah, okay. I so you did, you did Stradiac with a, uh, that's, that's interesting. That's, that's very interesting. Like the whole, the whole book or. Um, yes, you know, even, yeah. I think there are two books even. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. I, um, Okay, cool. Um, so you in around this, like the the mid to late sixties, you started recording. Is that right? Yes, very quickly I got noticed because um, while there was no violinist playing modern jazz at the time, and uh, uh, I indeed was offered to do first, I was offered to uh, uh, to play in a jazz club at the Blue Note. Yeah. in Paris, which was not of uh, the same Blue Notes as today. It was just... Yeah. But anyway, I played in that club uh, opposite uh, Bud Powell. They always mm -hmm. had two bands yeah. alternating. And so um, I played there. I was like uh, hired, uh, you know, it was, it was a permanent gig uh, yeah. all, all year long. So it was good practice, excellent practice. And there... Um, I got noticed by a record company, by Philips at the time, and they offered yeah. me to do a solo, my very first solo album. Yeah. Jazz long playing. They were yeah. they were playing on, on my initials, JLP, ah. Jean-Luc Jean Jean Ponty. Right. Jazz long playing. I don't know why I've never made that connection before. Well, it might not be that obvious, but <laughs> I, just, yeah. I just remember the argument of, uh, uh, of the producer. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's funny. Um, and that was a that was sort of a like it was like bebop, wasn't it? Yes, you absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you had like one of your own songs in there. Right? Yes. Yeah. You know, I I had this urge of writing music. In fact, that was my goal when I was yeah. a kid. Uh, my dream was to become a, a classical conductor. And composer. Ah, okay. Uh, right. But I was too I was too young to do the conductor class. Yeah. So that's why um, I I had to do an instrument first. But I started studying harmony and, and music theory. Uh, but then I switched to jazz before I I studied those. But which is uh, just to explain that I had this uh, ambition to write music, but I, I didn't write much yet in the early 60s when i did that jazz album but and on top of that i was so influenced by my classical background that a lot of what i was writing was uh, more influenced by the french impressionists right and so forth and really didn't fit uh huh. bebop at all so yeah. that's why i just have only one original <laughs> on that uh, right album. yeah yeah but you'd you so you'd written quite a lot before that but you just didn't feel it was it was suitable exactly okay right yeah well, do you remember what the first uh, piece of music was that you ever tried writing oh no well no, no. that goes <laughs> back when i in my childhood even but yeah okay so you have been writing a long it time. was nothing original yet you know yeah. i was probably influenced by bach and all the music i was listening yeah. at the time yeah okay so um when that came out um was it well received, jazz long playing? Yes, so yeah. well received. I got uh, in France. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm not sure it was released anywhere else at the time, mm -hmm. but um, there was the Django Award. It, ah. and it was uh, very new, but I got I got it that yeah. year. I released the album, so that was a good start. Oh, amazing, great for writing music. I'm not sure I have a process, but it's mostly by improvising and mostly on piano or keyboards, you know. 
that's really how I wrote most of it, my music. Uh, rarely on violin, except that piece "New Country," mm-hmm. which uh, I was inspired to write after seeing my very first uh, show of country music in in California, uh-huh. uh, the Kerr show, yeah. wasn't it? And uh, I was inspired to to write that song right after the the, the show. Yeah. <laughs> so so obviously that came from the violin, but. Uh, otherwise, really, it's I would sit down at the piano and uh, come up with uh, improvise, you know. Yeah. And when I heard something I thought was interesting, I would write it down on paper. Yeah. Until later on, uh, we had some equipment. It started with cassette recorders, you know, and then yeah, uh, yeah. home studio. Yeah. Then if I were if I would be at home, I would uh, record what I was improvising. Yeah. Um, and it could be uh, I would go to the piano because uh, following some uh, I don't know emotional experience whatever yeah uh, you know that would inspire or influence what I had in mind and uh, some emotions that would translate into music maybe like a therapy (laughs) and uh, that's how it happened and then one once I moved to Los Angeles, I was in California in the late 60s, early 80s. <clears throat> That's when the first synthesizers were uh, invented. Yeah. And uh, since I knew how to play piano, I had access to anything with the keyboard on it. Yeah. And, and that's how I got into the synthesizers, uh, experiments, the sounds, yeah. and all that. Yeah, so you had quite a lot to do with like Frank Zappa as well, didn't you, around that point? Yeah, I'm not sure if it's quite a lot because it was fairly short, but um, it was. I signed my very first uh, contract with an American record label yeah. in 68. That was Pacific Jazz. Yeah. So that brought me to Los Angeles in uh, early 69. Yeah. And uh, after recording um, a jazz studio album for the label, yeah, I was uh, I had an engagement in a local uh, jazz club, and uh, I needed musicians. Yeah. That's when I discovered George Duke, who uh-huh. was an unknown piano player at the time. So between an unknown young players, we formed a band, mm-hmm. and we played in that club. And it was right next to the Hollywood studios. So um, film music composers who came from from a jazz background would stop by to have a drink mm-hmm. uh, regularly in that club. And that's how uh, Quincy Jones and Lalo Schifrin um, discovered me and yeah. hired me to come record uh, with them yeah. some, some film music immediately. So that was a bit of what was going on in in Los Angeles at the time. And after a few months of that, uh, the uh, record producer from from jazz, uh, Pacific Jazz, Uh uh, Richard Bach, suggested I do another album in collaboration with a rock or pop musician. Uh So he um, started with a list of names of um, well-known rock or pop musicians in California at the time. And when he mentioned uh, Frank Zappa, I was not that familiar with him, but I knew he was very experimental yeah. and the kind of musician who does no compromise at all. Yeah. Uh, so I had no idea of what it would sound together, but at least I was intrigued. I said, okay, so the next day, we had an appointment at uh, Frank's place mm-hmm. and uh, Richard Bach, the first thing he did was to play a live recording we just did in the club with George Duke. Yeah. And Frank, after that, said, these guys are too good for me. What, what do you want me to do with them? And I was really <laughs> very surprised by how humble he was yeah. to, say, to say that in front of me. Um, but uh, then so Richard Bach said uh, well I'd like you to 
produce Jean-Luc's next album. Yeah. You know, 100% uh, freedom of uh, whatever you want. Uh, your music, of course, but he told Frank, you choose the musician, the studio, and all that. Yeah. And two weeks later, we were in, in the studio recording uh, the album King Kong. Uh-huh. And uh, <clears throat> I had just one demand. I had one demand, uh, which was to have George Duke with me. <laughs> so, I, you know, I was okay to go into these new adventures. But, okay, so that's how Frank discovered George Duke and hired him in his band after I left... Uh, Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so King Kong was a bit, of course, Frank had arranged the music so that it would be close to jazz instrumental. Uh -huh. uh, but yet it was kind of a new world for me, which uh, opened my mind to, uh, <laughs> to listen to progressive rock at the time, or musicians like Frank and... Uh, um, you know, I, I see for the first time uh, from a jazz purist, yeah. I, be I became more uh, impure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So that was like, that was a point in your life that really changed your music then, you would say, or your, your, your direction. Uh, well, not, not completely, but it really opened my mind to listen to other musics besides jazz. Okay. That's really, that's really what happened. Yeah. Because I kept playing the way I was playing yeah. before that, except uh, listening to, to different styles of music mm -hmm. with, uh, of course, open, uh, give me new ideas as an improviser and also as a composer. Yeah. The second experience, the second collaboration with Frank was uh, four years later, he invited me to tour with his band yeah. to join the Mothers. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I did, and that's when I had to move to, to Los Angeles yeah. uh, per permanently in 73. Yeah. And uh, at first it was fantastic because I was really um, uh, admiring his creativity as a composer. Yeah. Uh, I really love these complex instrumental pieces. Yeah. And uh, we played a lot of it at the beginning. Mm -hmm. But then after a few months, uh, he cut down on it a lot. Uh, I must say that also, <laughs> when I would take a solo, uh, I played the way I played before joining his band, which was like uh, modern jazz. Yeah. And since George Duke and the other guys had some jazz experience they were following me and i was taking the music somewhere else right that's for sure. <laughs> you know, it would be it somehow it was becoming my band and had not much to do anymore with frank's music so yeah. i understand it was not the ideal thing for for frank and so yeah he cut down <laughs> the program and uh and i left the band because although i never lost respect for uh, and never lost my admiration for his talent. Yeah, uh, it was not really my place to stay there and play just background. Yeah, uh, okay. Music behind songs, you know. Yeah. Um, you also you spent some time playing with uh, John McLaughlin as well, right? Right after, uh, although it was not connected, John did know I had uh, left Zappa's band, mm -hmm. but he called me. And uh, offered me to join, uh, yeah, to form this second version of uh, the Mahavishnu Orchestra, indeed. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was a fantastic experience because I had, I would say, more musical affinities even with John than with Frank. Yeah. And uh, it was just playing. I was in front of the stage with him and uh, uh -huh. it, it was just about playing your best, you know, yeah. every night. So that was a great experience. Mm -hmm. But after a year of doing that, I was in my early 30s and I had accumulated quite a bit of uh, uh, compositions. Uh -huh. And, you know, I was really urged, itching to, 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 to start uh, playing my own music. Yeah. And uh, I understood that was not possible with Mahavishnu because it was John's 
band and his music and mm -hmm. uh, I was okay with that but then the only way to play my music was to leave the band and to start my own mm -hmm. which I did uh, yeah. right after yeah right okay and uh, what was what was the first album uh, that you that you brought out after that then so I found a deal with Atlantic Records and my first album which I recorded while I was touring with the Mahavishnu Orchestra, as a matter of fact, was Upon the Wings of Music. Okay. Uh, Upon the Wings, and then the second one, within six months, was Aurora. Ah, yeah. And Aurora got um, a lot more attention, and uh, there is one piece on it, which was the only acoustic piece, uh, Renaissance. Yeah. In French, for for once, I had a French title. <laughs> uh, you pronounce it better than me in English, but uh, Renaissance, something like that, right? Renaissance. Um, thank you. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, we're, that's definitely not better than your pronunciation. <laughs> it sounds good to me. Anyway, that piece got a lot of airplay, and that's what started my my success in America. Yeah. Okay. Wow, all right. Yeah, it's interesting. The um, album that I know best is Imaginary Voyage, actually. Yes. Yeah, that's a really, I really like that one. Uh, thank you. Well, that was the third yeah. recording for Atlantic. That was with Atlantic, okay. It was like a year or two after I had left my Vishnu. Yeah. And it was the... Oh, yeah, it was a big success, that album. Yeah. It went number number one in the jazz charts, but top 40s in the general pop charts in Billboard, you know, right. um, in America. So it was a surprise to me because I had, frankly, already in those days, everybody was telling me in America, well, if you don't have a singer, that's the only thing that's going to to really uh, catch a lot of uh, attention. Yeah. And uh, I was not a singer. I had no intention to hire a singer. Yeah. I just wanted to do my music without concession. Yeah. And, uh, but I guess it, you know, it caught on um, the, the attention of uh, radios across America. Yeah. And, and even around the world. So that was, that was my first very big album indeed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, at this point, um, it the music seems so far away from um, what people would describe as like jazz or or bebop. Um, you know, because of you know because of the uh, the technology that was being used. You know, it, to me, you hear you hear you hear all of the music that you wrote around then, and it's it's it it's so different to to the music. Uh, that you were playing at the beginning of your career and it's great to see that you know to see someone who's uh who's changed as 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 time's gone on you know it's uh it's all i was i was talking i can't remember who i was talking to about that but that's that's like as a listener i can imagine you're the same it's great to hear like to be able to go through somebody's uh you know catalog and hear them change Yes, as long as it's not really radical change. Oh yeah, but <laughs> uh, I was not like a chameleon, but it was a, no. a slow evolution, in fact. Because, of course, if you if you listen to my first solo jazz album, we were mentioning earlier, jazz long playing. Yeah, uh, there were there were more uh, later on that yeah. would have been closer to my style uh, uh, in the jazz rock years, seventies. But but. Uh, but, but let's say you take the first bebop album and you play imaginary voyage yeah then yes there is a huge difference but uh there there is a span of 12 years in between yeah of course yeah no and, it's a slow it's a slow yeah. change and somehow i still have that just phrasing with the bow yeah in, in imaginary voyage but the the rhythms of course are different the sounds are different yeah. and uh, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't say that you're improvising is is it, you can always tell that it's your playing, but it's uh, it's more the compositions and the and the wet, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. And the Yeah, no doubt. The timbre, so to speak. Yeah. So, how getting back to actual just general violin playing, how do you 
if at all, do you, well, do you carry, carry on practicing? Do you practice a lot still? Yes, okay. uh, a lot. I wouldn't say a lot, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, I love practicing and I try. Yeah. My ideal would be to do an hour a day, but I don't. I don't every day. Sometimes uh, it skips a few days, yeah. depending uh, what I have to do. Mm-hmm. And if I'm on the road, if I'm on tour, I really don't practice. I yeah. just warm up before the gigs. Yeah. Uh, every day there is a sound check, so you have to play in the afternoon anyway yeah. already. But when I'm off the road at home yeah. or on vacation or whatever, yeah. but uh, then yes, I love to practice at least um, a minimum you know at least minimum 20 30 minutes but uh, do scales mm-hmm. arpeggios just to remember how to you know to put your fingers on the violin and yeah uh, do you have like a do you have a um like a set thing that you do when you when you go to do that practice that 20 uh, scales like i have a scale um, per day you know i start uh, i start with a c scale on sunday yeah <laughs> and then move to uh, uh d on monday uh-huh. e on tuesday mm-hmm. but then uh, with the flat as well d and, and d flat yeah. and on tuesday e and e flat ah. uh, uh, so scales and arpeggios yeah. and uh so since there are seven notes in the scale, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's a week. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I start over again. And then arpeggios. Mm-hmm. And then I, in my youth, um, or young, being younger, I would practice classical music after that. I would love to play Bach sonata maybe. <clears throat> mm-hmm. But I found out uh, with experience that it didn't help me play jazz or my style of music uh, of today. Mm-hmm. It's like even after practicing Paganini or Bach, mm-hmm. uh, it was good for the left hand. Mm-hmm. But with the bow, it's like he had I had not practiced at all uh, uh, when I started playing jazz. It's like <laughs> it was I had to move on to uh, another world. Yeah. So. Um, when I realized that, and it was a time when we started to have uh, equipment at home, you know, home studios or, yeah. or a synthesizer with, with a sequence, you can record uh, uh, some background uh, keyboards, bass, drums, or yeah. whatever, yeah. and and create a solo section for improvisation as a loop. Yeah. And so then after my scales, after warming up my fingers and scales and arpeggios, I would go... I would start improvising on some of my pieces. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you would you would practice improvising. Um, do you to get used? I mean, excuse me. Not not to find which notes to play and play the same ones mm-hmm. all the time. Not not at all. But yeah. but just to to get used to the structures, mm-hmm. to the chord changes. Yeah. So that. Uh, once you're on stage and once you really have to play, it becomes unconscious. You don't have to worry anymore about uh, what notes fit on what chord changed. Yeah. You you just let go and let your emotions take over. Yeah. Do you like to think about things in scales at all? Do you like to, um, you know, consider what people would say chord scale theory, thinking about what scales go with what chords? Yeah, I do that, although I might not use the whole scale, but when there are some intricate uh, changes, you know, chord progression, then it happened in my music, because especially writing on piano, Mm -hmm. uh, I realized then (laughs) when I have to switch to violin, even the lines, the melodic lines, it's it's tricky, (laughs) because it wasn't meant to to be played on violin at first. But... but, um, so then, yes, I will, if, if it's not something that's evident and that comes quickly, then I sit down indeed and uh, yeah. study which scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and from that scale, then I know which notes. Yeah. I don't play complete scales, but you know which notes will fit. Yeah, yeah, okay, sure. Um, 
One thing I was going to, uh, I thought would be interesting to ask you was what is it that you look for in a, in a musician, in, in a jazz musician? So if you were going to listen to a musician playing and enjoy their playing, what, what do you listen out for? Well, I'm, I'm, I don't have uh, preset uh, ideas in my mind. You know, yeah. it's, I, I just, I'm open and, and I'm listening. And uh, in general, if it's mechanical, it doesn't do anything to me. I don't care about uh, technical abilities or yeah. uh, it has to, it has to have feeling, whatever style of music. It has to have feeling, you know. Uh, it it reminds me of an anecdote with uh, Stefan Grappelli. Mm -hmm. uh, at some point, after a few years, I was playing jazz. <clears throat> I told him, "I'm not sure I'm going to continue. Maybe I'll go back to classical music because I don't know what I'll do in jazz." And he told me, "On oh, what you do is very original. Really, you should you should go on. You should continue." Mm -hmm. uh, even say I I even took a, a thing from you I don't know but I'll show you one day I don't know why you wanted to wait one day to show me <laughs> but uh, it wasn't much it was I don't know what it was maybe a double stop yeah uh, he really wanted to encourage me to go on and so years later um, when I got into a lot more modern jazz than when he met me at first. Uh -huh. He said, well, that music is too modern for me. But he said, I'm not modern enough. I should probably try to be more modern. And that, at my turn, I told him, no, Stefan, uh, doesn't matter to be modern or not modern. What's important, you know, you feel this, your music, so it comes from so deep within you. Yeah. That's the most important. Yeah. Uh, keep playing the way you do. Yeah. And uh, uh that, that's it. That, that's what uh, your question makes me think about. Mm. That's, uh, I don't expect, I don't, I don't care if it's avant-garde, all-style swing or whatever. It's uh, the way it's played. Yeah. If, it touch, if it touches you or not. Yeah. And you think if, it, if it's coming from somebody, if it feels genuine. Exactly. That's yeah. the word. Yeah. Um, there are a few who, you hear it, they just copy what they heard. And uh, it's secondhand somehow. It's not. Yeah. It's not the original. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. Um, hey, why do you think? Um, why do you think that the violin is not? Is still not a widespread jazz instrument? Well, I'm not sure. I have uh, the answer to that, but a few guesses. You know, it's. Uh, it's a very difficult instrument to play technically, uh -huh. one of the most difficult yeah. to play in tune and, and to keep <laughs> playing good all your life. Yeah. But, but just uh, as a motivation for a youngster, you know, there are, if, it depends. Uh, because it's so difficult, yeah. it's, it's usually young people who have studied classical music, who have or who have a passion for a music where violin is really a major instrument, yeah. that they go, then they switch to jazz. Yeah. But uh, if they come from classical music, there is quite a period of adaptation, like we talked about. Yeah. Uh, so it's not that easy. I know there are many classical players who are uh, admirative of... Uh, Violinists who can improvise, but themselves maybe don't have that ability so much, and uh, so that's one of the reasons. Another reason is those the young people who have not started choosing an instrument yet, and that are attracted by jazz. They, I don't think they choose violin as first. You know, yeah. they, it will be uh, sax, trumpet. Uh, which are more common yeah. in jazz yeah. <coughs> or, or guitar, guitar, uh, even in rock, pop or whatever. Yeah. So I guess that would be the reason, you know, it's some, most jazz violinists I know didn't start playing jazz yeah. from the very beginning. Yeah. So actually, you know what, reading about Stuff Smith, I, feel, I think like Stuff Smith is the only person who I've even ever heard of who did. From what I read, he just sort of, 
heard jazz and was like, I want to play that on the violin. And that was it. <laughs> like That would be an exception then, yes. Yeah, he's a definite exception. Yes. So do you reckon there will be a point in the future where it's, uh, it's just as common as, as trumpet or sax? Well, there are a lot more jazz violinists in the world, around the world now, than there were in my youth, for sure. Uh, there has been a long time in the 70s, 80s, where I was wondering if I was not crazy <laughs> to yeah. have gone into that, because there were so few who would follow my path, yeah. or, the, or even the paths of uh, Grappelli or uh, Stuffness, especially. Uh, but... Uh, there are a lot more violins in modern music in general, not just jazz, but even rock bands. Yeah. But, you know, again, since uh, it's such a difficult instrument and you can, to just play correctly, you have to at least spend a few years practicing and studying yeah. the basis. Yeah. So um, that's one reason why it's a... <sighs> there are less still yeah. still less violinists today in the jazz world than uh, horn players yeah um and also it comes from uh, band leaders who are not always uh, eager to hire a violin player in their band yeah you know i know a few like stanley clark loves uh, the violin and i've uh, constantly uh, uh, recommended young players for his band yeah but it's rare yeah yeah sure and to do a career on your own uh, it's not you know it's uh, like playing poker for everyone it, it was for me too you never know yeah you never know yeah yeah i think because you know zach brock don't you oh absolutely he's great yeah i, I love his playing because i spoke to him about i think he said that he got some advice once that, you know, if you're going to play jazz violin, you've got to accept that you're not really going to get... And if, you know, because he was wanting to play bebop and uh, he, he got this advice that was, you know, if you want to play bebop violin, you know, you have to start your own band because <laughs> you know you're not going to get someone else who's starting a bebop band who's going to hire you because they're going to want sax and they're going to want trumpet because they want to get that classic sound so as a violinist you just you've got to you've basically got to shape your own path in a way yes this is right um i mean occasionally if you are discovered if someone like zach brock which is such a good player would be discovered by by band leader yeah <clears throat> then you know he might be hired yeah, of course. In that in in that band, but it, it, yeah, it's not. Uh, again, then it's destiny. You know, yeah. it's uh, yeah. you never know. Yeah. But if it doesn't happen, then you stay home and you have to find another job. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. It's not yeah. easy. Yeah. Um, one other thing I was going to ask you was: Do you have any hobbies that are not not music related? Yeah, uh, but music takes a lot of my time every day. However, I love reading. And uh, all my life I have been uh, wanting to learn as much as I could about uh, everything. You yeah. Know? Uh, as much as I can. And uh, I'll die before I know everything, that's for sure. But <laughs> I, I, lo I love to read about uh, different subjects. Yeah, um, okay. It yeah. can be history politics but it can be uh, uh quantum physics the the little i can understand or whatever <laughs> science and uh whatever yeah um i love that i practice yoga uh, ah. as well to keep uh, in shape in fact uh, when i turned around 30 years old uh, i started to feel a bit of pain in my in my back in my shoulder yeah. And uh, and that's when I was in California. I discovered yoga, and ah. it definitely helped me. Yeah. And uh, since that day, I've been fine. Uh, 
Um, so, you know, to keep in shape. And I love traveling and discover places where I'm not invited to go to play. So yeah. uh, visit uh, new lands, new countries and cultures. Yeah. Yes, I, I like to take time off uh, yeah. from music to to learn about more about the fields I yeah uh, I have to discover you know yeah. which uh, in which I'm I was ignorant and little by little I understand more yeah. as you grow older yeah. but uh, it's a quest and I think I think it's um, even necessary mm -hmm. yeah. I, th I think at least for me it's better. That's the way I can really um, uh, keep um, keep my mind fresh and 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 willing to keep creating and playing. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, um, I get bored by the routine. Yeah. So, you know, uh, reading about other fields in life other than music and doing other things. Um, open my mind and can inspire me. And when I come back to music, yeah, then I'm I'm totally fresh and uh, I want to do it again. Yeah, yeah, oh, great. Yeah. Um, what are you up to at the moment? Then, what are your what what are the uh, musical projects you're working on, if anything? Are you? Yeah. Well, uh, I keep. Playing my own music with my own band. In yeah. fact, uh, these past uh, two years, I've been uh, um, revisiting my early albums uh, ah. on, on Atlantic, uh, the early jazz rock years, you know, because there was a lot of demand. Uh, I'm not a guy who is into nostalgia at all. Okay. Uh, so I love the present. I keep looking at the future, even if uh, not at my age. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know the present is great. Yeah, uh, but um, just to say that I'm not the kind of guy who listens to my old albums. I rarely <laughs> listen to my albums. Yeah, but there was a lot of demand uh, to to revisit that music from fans, from uh, concert uh, organizations. Uh, all the way to South America in the States, of course, in the U.S. Uh, so I did that. Yeah, I did that for the past two years, and uh, it was kind of fun to listen back to the albums you mentioned, Imaginary Voyage, among yeah. them, and find a few pieces that are still uh, did not age yeah. and uh, are good to play again. Especially that since we improvise, there are sections for improvisation. Yeah, that that music comes alive again. It's not like rehashing the past. Yeah, <clears throat> and uh, I do that as well in Europe with a French band I have, and I'll I'll keep do that uh, doing that for the next year. But at the same time, I do these other projects. Uh, last year, I did uh, an acoustic trio with Billy Lagraine on guitar. Yeah, I heard that. Right, uh, and Kyle Eastwood. Yeah, uh, and. Uh, I'm looking at more projects like that, you know, I'm constantly offered collaborations and so who knows, yeah. you know, that, that keeps my mind uh, going. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really enjoyed the, that acoustic trio. Sounds great. Thanks. Yeah. Um, okay. I think I need to go and I think, I think yeah. we've done quite a long one, haven't we? I, uh, think so. I see an hour and yeah. three minutes yeah, yeah so pretty good so um you should have enough i guess if not you tell me and i can uh, but yeah. i see i think we covered everything yeah we we we, we, we covered a lot of stuff yes um, well it's been great chatting to you thanks a lot thank you matt thank you for listening to the jazz violin podcast uh you have been listening to jean-luc ponty and myself matt holborn uh, please like and subscribe I say this all the time and uh, hopefully hopefully it sinks in but please do like and subscribe because um, that uh, well just because you know just do it I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you why uh, we have some exciting guests coming up and oh, I keep saying we and it is literally just me I shouldn't say we it's weird it just comes out uh, I, don't, I don't know. Do I have any news? No. News? Uh, 
not really just uh just keep listening thanks very much bye